Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to begin reading at verse 21, and I'll read quickly and let you be seated. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants and when begun to reckon one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents for as much as he had not to pay his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him saying Lord have patience with me and I'll pay thee all the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet, besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll pay thee all. And he would not. But went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. If ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother, their trespasses. I want to preach to you for a few minutes this morning from this thought. Bitter is not better. Let's lift our hands to the Lord, ask Him to help us here. Lord, in Jesus' name, I'm believing You, Jesus. I'm trusting You, God. Oh, Hallelujah. You may be seated. The older I get, the more I understand that I need fewer things in life as opposed to more. I walk through my garage sometimes and stuff laying everywhere, things that I hadn't touched in 10 years. My wife and I go to a store somewhere and she'll say, oh, honey, that's a pretty shirt. My response to that is, I don't need another shirt. 
It's sad. It really is sad. I, I, I have, and I'm not bragging, I'm not being boastful, and I can honestly tell you, Brother Kevin, there's probably some shirts in my closet that I hadn't worn in 20 years, but they're still hanging there. So I, I guess probably if we could fess up this morning, you and I save things. Come on, somebody. Favorite photos, pet rocks. Now, for some of you young folks, you wouldn't, you can't relate to that. Interesting articles. If you can see my office out there, I got stacks of notes that high. I'd like to say I have notes from the very first time I preached a message, but years ago I was at a conference up in Gary, Indiana, and I, it was back when it was the cool thing, everybody carried their Bibles in a leather Bible case. And I had my Bible and my notes, every note that I'd ever preached, I, I had only been in ministry just, just a few years at that time, but it was still a pretty good pile of notes, and my wife had done uh, some recording, and so... I had another case in there that had her, again, some of you young folks won't relate to this, had her cassette tapes in it. And somebody broke into my car at the hotel and they stole my wife's tapes. That was bad enough. But they stole my Bible case. And it had every note that I had ever preached in my life in that Bible case. And all I could see, Brother Stephen, was those notes thrown out across the interstate somewhere. When they opened it and realized what they was, they just threw it away. But if you could see my office, I got, I got notes stacked out there. I'll never preach those messages again. So what I'm saying is, we, we by nature are hoarders. But there's some things that we keep and collect in our lives that we need to get rid of. Because they are having an adverse effect on our health. They're having an adverse effect on our spiritual health. They're having an adverse effect on our relationship with Jesus Christ. Come on, I'm trying to tell somebody some things that you are holding on to have made you bitter. And bitter is not better. Homer and Langley Collier hoarded things. Everything. Newspapers, letters, clothing. You name it, they kept it. Born in the late 1800s to an affluent Manhattan couple, the brothers lived in a luxurious three-story mansion at the interstate of 5th Avenue and 128th Street. Homer earned a degree in engineering and Langley became a lawyer and all seemed good in the Collier family. But then mom and dad divorced in 1909. The boys now in their 20s remained in the home with their mother. Crime escalated, the neighborhood deteriorated and Homer and Langley retaliated by escaping the world. 
for reasons that therapists discuss at dinner parties, the duo retreated into their inherited mansion, closed and locked the doors. They were all but unheard of for nearly 40 years. Then in 1947, someone reported the suspicion of a dead body at their address. It took seven policemen to break down the door because the entrance was blocked by a wall of newspapers, folding beds, half a sewing machine, old chairs, part of a wine press, and other pieces of junk. After several hours of digging, policemen found the body of Homer seated on the floor, head between his knees, his long and matted gray hair reaching his shoulders. But where was Langley? That question triggered one of the strangest searches in Manhattan history. Fifteen days of quarrying produced 103, watch this now, tons of junk. Gas chandeliers, a sawhorse, the chassis. Now I'm not talking about outside, I'm talking about inside. The chassis of an old car. A Steinway piano. A horse's jawbone. And finally, one missing brother. The stuff he had kept had collapsed on him and killed him. I rise on this Sunday morning to tell somebody that some of the stuff that you're keeping, if you don't get rid of it, it's going to kill you. Come on, I feel that in the Holy Ghost. Some of you are harboring things and holding on to things that really won't matter when it's all said and done and will find you piled up somewhere dead because you refuse to let go of some things that mercy and grace want to free you from. We hoard heart junk. Bizarre, I know. Who wants to live with yesterday's rubble? Who wants to hoard the trash of the past? You don't, do you? Not in your house, mind you, but in your heart. Not the junk of paper and boxes, but the remnants of anger and hurt. Do you pack rat pain? Do you amass offenses? Do you record slights? I know people that are still, still drudging up and dragging up things that happened 50 years ago in their life. My God, it's not worth it. Bitter is not better. Just let it go. A tour, a tour of your heart might be telling. A pile of rejections stockpiled in one corner. Accumulated insults filling another corner. 
images of unkind people lining the walls and littering the floor. And no one can blame you. Your innocence taken. Promises broken. Wounds made. You've had your share. Yet it doesn't make sense to hold on to it. Doesn't it make sense to get rid of their trash? It's not your trash. Watch this now. If there's anything that I can get to you this morning in this service, it is this. We need to give every day a chance. Jesus said, give the grace you've been given. Oh, but they did this or they did that. Yes, and you did something else. And you needed grace and God gave you grace. Why don't you do the same thing to them that God has done for you? Bitter's not bitter if you just keep holding on to it. It's only going to make you bitter. It's only going to kill you, not them. Take a long look at Jesus' reply to Peter's question. The, the, the New Living Testament says this, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, stay with me right here. 70 times seven equals 490 times. But then... Jesus curtails our calibrated grace by relating the following. Again, this is New Living Testament, but it's verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. Boy, if that doesn't make you bitter, nothing will. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, everything he owned to pay the debt. Such an immense debt. Stay with me right here. More literal translations say the servant owed 10,000 talents. Now watch this. One talent equaled 6,000 denarii. One denarius equaled one day's wage. One talent then would equate to 6,000 days worth of work. 10,000 talents would represent 60 million days. 
or 240,000 years of labor. A person earning $100 a day would owe $6 billion. I know that sounds like an astronomical sum and none of our minds in here can even comprehend. He is exaggerating to make a point, or is he? One person would never owe such an amount to another. But it could be that Jesus is referring to the debt that we owe God. Come on. Let's just take a minute here and calculate our indebtedness to Him. How often do you sin in an hour? And remember, to sin means... Put up uh, Romans 3 and 23 for me, please. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So... To sin means to fall short. Now hold on right now. Get a grip. Worry is falling short on faith. Impatience is falling short on kindness. The critical spirit is falling short on love. Now I ask you again, how often do you fall short with God? For for the sake of discussion, let's say ten times an hour. Ten sins an hour times sixteen waking hours assuming assuming we don't sin in our sleep. Times 365 days a year, times the average male lifespan of 74 years. We'll round the total off at 4,300,000 sins per person per year. I wonder this morning. How do you plan to pay God for the 4.3 million sin increments in your life? Man, Bishop, I came in here to be encouraged today and you're, you're just calling me one of the biggest sinners that's ever lived. I'm I'm not meaning to disparage you in any way. But I, I just want you to understand something. Your payout is unachievable. It's unreachable. You're swimming in the Pacific Ocean of debt. And that's what Jesus is saying. The debtor in the story is you and me. And the king 
is God. Now look at what God does. He couldn't pay. Everybody say, I can't pay. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife and his children and everything he owed to pay the debt. But the man fell down before him, his master, and begged him, Please, please be patient with me, and I'll pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. I'm so glad to tell you today that God forgives the zillion sins of selfish humanity. He forgives 60 million sin-filled days. Paul writes in 24 of Romans, Romans 3 and 24. I want you to look at it with me right now. Paul writes about being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Watch this. I love this. This is out of the message. Out of sheer generosity, He put us in right standing with Himself. A pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where He always wanted us to be. And He did it by the means of Jesus Christ. I've come to tell you today, bitter's not better. Why don't you just turn it over to Jesus and let Him take care of it. Quit carrying all of that stuff. Quit carrying the guilt. Quit carrying the shame. Just trust the Lord. He paid the price so it could all be taken care of. My debt is canceled. Your debt is canceled. God forgives the unforgivable. We, we, we're the only point of this story where we have ample points to ponder, but this is only the beginning. The punchline's yet to come. We do the unthinkable. When the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. And he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. You know the story. He had him put in prison. Incomprehensible behavior, to be sure. Multi-million dollar forgiveness should produce a multi-million dollar forgiver. The forgiven servant can forgive a petty debt, can't he? But this one doesn't. Note that he, he wouldn't wait. He refuses to forgive. He could have. He should have. Don't you understand that that cat that insulted you, rejected you, made you angry, Made you feel worthless. 
made you feel abused, made you feel misused, disrespected. Don't you understand? That cat ain't carrying that. And if you carry it, it'll only make you bitter. It'll only kill you. I've come to tell you, bitter is not better this morning. Somebody's going to have to release some things into the hand of the forgiver. He wants to forget, but whoa, wait just a minute. What do you mean? I'm telling you until you can get it in your spirit, your mind, and your heart that I'm going to forgive. I'm not going to carry it anymore. I'm not going to let it burden me down anymore. I'm not going to let it make me bitter anymore. I release them. And when you release them, God's going to release grace and mercy and forgiveness in your life. The forgiven should forgive. Which makes us wonder, did the servant truly accept the king's forgiveness? Watch. I, I, I begin to understand something. Begin to realize that there were some things in our lives that we need to recognize as people of God. There's some things that we need to get in our spirit if we're going to be saved. You see, something missing from this story, something missing from this story is gratitude. Something Absent from this parable is the joy of the forgiven servant. Like the nine ungrateful lepers we read about in the last chapter, this man never tells the king, thank you. He offers no words of appreciation. He sings no song of celebration. His life has been spared. His family has been liberated. Sentence has been lifted. An insurmountable debt forgiven. And he says nothing. Oh, hear me right now. We have no right to walk through those doors and come and sit on these seats and say nothing. We have been forgiven an insurmountable debt. Come on. Mercy and grace. God help us. We have no right to sit on our hands or fold our hands and cross our legs and mute our voice. But it ought to be in our heart every time we walk into the house of God to thank the King of Kings because we've been forgiven. Because we've been saved. His life had been spared. Every day ought to be a thanksgiving day for you. He begs for mercy like a student on the brink of flunking out of college. But once he receives it, he acts as if he never scored less than a B. 
Could his silence make the loudest point of the parable? Watch. Watch what Jesus says. He who is forgiven little loves little. See, that's some of our problem here today. We've forgotten. We've forgotten where we came from. Oh, we walk in here. We're holiness, apostolic, Pentecostal folks. We feel the Holy Ghost move in our midst. The power of God falls almost every service. And His Spirit moves mightily among us. And we walk in here like, well, big deal. I want somebody to get this with me. I heard all week this week at the conference that that we were at, the No Limits Conference, the, the theme of the whole conference was just do something. If I could get that in the spirit and heart of this church that every time you get in your car and you drive to the house of God and you walk through those doors, you might not be able to do what you did 30 years ago, but just do something. You might not have had the best of days today, but just do something. Quit letting bitterness hinder your worship. Quit letting things that bother you slow slow you down. Do something. Let me hurry. Maybe, maybe this guy's a rejecter of grace. He never accepts the grace of the king. He leaves the throne room with a sly smirk. As one who dodged a bullet. Found a loophole, Brother Stephen. Worked the system. Pulled a fast one. He talked his way out of a jam. But he's got a mark on him. He bears the mark of the unforgiven. He refuses to forgive. When the king hears about His stingy heart. You know the story. I won't belabor the point. But he says to him, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Say, oh, Bishop, I've forgiven him. No, you haven't forgiven him. If it comes up in one more conversation in your life, you haven't forgiven him. Amen. You either release it and loose it and let it go or you got it buried in there somewhere and I'm telling you, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if it stays there long enough, it's going to make you bitter and bitter is not better. Come on. We got to listen. It's just like that garage and that closet that I talked about. Until I go in there and start cleaning it out and getting rid of it, it's going to remain the mess that it is, and that's the way it is in our walk with God. If we don't get some things cleaned out, if we don't forgive some folks that maybe don't deserve to be forgiven, but we keep it in our heart and it makes us bitter, it's not worth it because bitter is not better. 
You need to release it. You need to let it go. Now, let me, let me just ponder a few things with you here and I'll, I'll, I'll move out of here. We're left to ponder the principles of this story today. The big one comes quickly. That the grace given or those that are given grace give grace. Forgiven people forgive people. Those that have been marinated in mercy drip mercy. I'm sad to tell you, but we have a reputation in Pentecost. That when somebody fails... Somebody makes a mistake. We want to bury them. Oh, we no, we can't. We can't. We we can't associate with them anymore because that they're 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 going to embarrass us. <laughs> I know how to quiet a crowd. Let me tell you something. God's trying to get in the hearts of this people. We got some things that are hindering a move of God in our own families, in our own personal walks with God. Come on, somebody. We got some things that are stopping us from progressing in the kingdom because we're harboring things in our heart that shouldn't be there. You've been marinated with mercy and you ought to drip with mercy. Everybody that's offended you, talked about you, did things that embarrassed you, let you down, you ought not carry that in your heart. There ought to be something inside of you that says that's human nature. That's, they're just a human. They're just a man. They're just a woman. God, let me have mercy on them because the opposite of mercy is to become bitter in my spirit and bitter is not better. Lift your hands to the Lord right now. Put up Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 for me real quick. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? God is good to you. God is kind to you. So won't you change your heart and your lives because of His goodness? (laughs) 
We're not like the unchanged wife. Before her conversion to Christ, she endlessly nagged, picked on and berated her husband. When she became a Christian, nothing changed. She kept nagging. Finally, he told her, I don't mind that you're born again. I just wish you hadn't been born again as yourself. I'll feed you good after church, baby. You have to question if the wife was born again to start with. There's a principle here that we need to take note of today. Apple trees bear apples. Wheat stalks produce wheat. Forgiven people forgive people. Grace is a natural outgrowth. Of grace. The forgiven who won't forgive can expect a sad fate. Listen to what Jesus said. The Bible said, Master delivered him to the tortures until he should pay all that was due unto him. Please, I'm begging with you, church. I'm pleading with you. Don't be like the call your brothers and hoard the hurts and wrongs that others have done to you. That will only cause you greater pain. Clean your house. Clean your heart. Give every day a fresh chance. Listen. Listen. You're looking at a man. You're looking at a man that if I wanted to, I could make a whole list of reasons why I could be bitter. But it's not worth it because bitter is not better. I'm telling you, it is better for you to put those people or those circumstances or those situations that have caused you to carry a burden that you shouldn't have carried. It is worth it to release them and allow God to make you better and to make them better. And it's at this point, it's at this point right here, many folks say, but you don't understand. The hurt is so deep. I do understand. I do. They, they took much. They took your innocence. They took your youth. They took your marriage. They took your family. They took your retirement. But why let them keep taking from you? Don't you think they've stolen enough? I'm trying to get somebody some relief and release in this place today. Refusing to forgive them keeps them loitering and taking again and again. 
God, I feel the Holy Ghost right here. Somebody needs to release some stuff in your heart right now. You're sick physically today. You're sick mentally today because you've allowed people room in your mind and room in your heart that don't belong there when Jesus would come to you today and say, let me move in your heart. Let me move in your mind. Let my mercy touch you. Let my grace touch you. Let me heal you. Come on, help me right now. I feel the Holy Ghost here. I realize what they did was bad, but don't let it keep doing damage to you. You need to realize something today. Forgiveness doesn't mean approval. My heart is about to blow out right now. I'm telling you, God's trying to do something in this place this morning. You are entrusting your offender to him who judges righteously. 1 Peter 2 and 23, they called him every name in the book. He said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to to let God set things right. The New King James Version said he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Some folks have been angry for so long they don't remember what it feels like not to be angry. And what they have to realize is that forgiveness won't come overnight. But you can, however, take baby steps in the direction of grace. If I could give you some counsel here today, Forgive in phases. Quit cursing the perpetrator's name. Start praying for him or her. Try to understand their situation. Come on, I want you to lift your hands and let that get in your spirit right now. Quit cursing the perpetrator's name. Start praying for him or her. Try to understand their situation. I close with this illustration today. Let Antoine Fisher inspire you. He had ample reason to live with a heart cluttered with unforgiveness. For the first 33 years of his life, he knew neither of his parents. His father had died before Antoine was born. His mother, for reasons that he longed to know, abandoned him as a boy. He grew up as a foster child in Cleveland, abused, neglected, desperate to find one single member of his family. Equipped with the name of his father in a Cleveland phone book, he began calling people of the same last name. His life changed the day an aunt answered the phone. He told her his date of birth and his father's identity. He described the difficult turns his life had taken, being kicked out by his foster mother, serving a stint in the Navy, now holding his own as a security guard in Los Angeles. 
Her voice was warm. You have a big family. Before long, another aunt invited him to Cleveland for a Thanksgiving reunion and filled the week with a lifetime of belated love. And then, after the days of calls and attempts, his family found his mother's brother. He offered to take Antoine to the housing project where she lived. On the drive, Antoine rehearsed the questions he longed to ask for the last three decades. Why didn't you come for me? Didn't you ever wonder about me? Didn't you miss me at all? But those questions were never uttered. The door opened. Antoine walked into a dimly lit apartment with shabby furniture. Turning, he saw a frail woman who looked too old to be his mother. Her hair was uncombed. She wore her night clothes. Antoine's uncle said to her, This is Antoine Quentin Fisher. Antoine's mother made the connection. And started to moan, losing her footing, holding on to a chair. Oh, God, please. Oh, God. She turned her face away in shame and hurried out of the room crying. Antoine learned that his mother had tried to get a man to marry her so she could raise her son but couldn't. She'd gone on to bear four other children also raised as wards of the state. And over the years, she'd been hospitalized, incarcerated, and put on probation. And when he realized how painful her years had been, he chose to forgive. This is what he writes. Though my road had been long and hard, I finally understood that my mother's had been longer and harder. Where the hurt of abandonment had lived inside of me, now there was only compassion. Would you stand to your feet right now? I want to say this to this church. In the end, we all choose what lives inside of us. May you choose forgiveness this morning. Why don't we all gather around the front? Sister Sarah, if you want to get your baby ready, we'll baptize her in a few minutes, but we're going to pray a minute right here. Why don't we all just ask the Lord to baptize us with compassion for those who have wronged us and hurt us in some way. Come on. I want you to ask God to root out all of that bitterness today.